Don't let these naysayers tell you that it's an oversaturated market for you to open up yet another cigar lounge or that, you know, this is why I don't support black businesses or we need to do better or this is why I don't vote or this is why, you know, just don't take no for an answer. Don't get stopped. Don't let anybody else determine or put opinions in your head that take over what you feel in your heart. That is a huge personal message of mine that I think I'll always be sort of grappling with for the rest of my life. Mm. Don't let people define you as a mother. Don't let people say you can't follow a career. Don't let people say, you know, well, that's your ex and you ended it a certain way and it was ugly. And, you know, you can't bridge your relationships forward because you're going to look silly and you're going to look stupid. Don't let the world's norms be your norm. Like individuality is powerful and community is powerful. And, you know, just in sort of being a strong individual and allowing people and give yourself a lot of grace. Boss Uncaged is a bi-weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners as they become uncaged trailblazers, unconventional thinkers, untethered trendsetters, and unstoppable tycoons. We always hear about overnight success stories, never knowing that it took 20 years to become a reality. Our host, S.A. Grant, conducts narrative accounts through the voices and stories behind Uncaged Bosses. In each episode, guests from a wide range of backgrounds sharing diverse business insights. Learn how to release your primal success through words of wisdom from inspirational entrepreneurs and industry experts as they depict who they are, how they juggle their work life with family life, their successful habits, business expertise, tools, and tips of their trade. Release the uncaged boss beast in you. Welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. On today's show, we have none other than, well, I've deemed you like the queen of the night. So, Donna Matthews, who are you? Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I am first and foremost a mom. (laughs) I'm a working mom. I'm a community-driven working mom. I am a goal-oriented, sales-oriented, quite ambitious hospitality professional. That is where I've sort of found my niche always, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely sort of making my name, if I can say that. It's kind of hard to tap, like, you know, toot your own horns. Sometimes I'm a little full of myself, but sometimes I'm like, dang, I really said that out loud and that might be true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so let's step back. I I remember the first time I met you was kind of like through osmosis. I was like in the middle of creating lamps and just kind of like playing around with that business model. And you were the owner of a cigar shop. So this is kind of step back. Like, how did you even get into that space, into that market sector? It was uh, through my relationship. Mm-hmm. About eight years ago, my ex and I had met and he was like, hey, join me for a cigar over at Highland Cigar Lounge, Highland Cigar Bar, the elder statesman of the cigar community, right? Like mm-hmm. it's one of the first cigar lounges or yeah, in the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I went in there. 
it was an environment that I just wasn't used to. And I have been in nightlife for a very long time, right? Like we did the bars. I've done bartending competitions. I've worked with Remy Martin. I've thrown parties, uh, brought DMX to UGA, mm-hmm. um, worked on a couple of different fun things like throughout my lifetime up until eight years ago until I met him. And he was like, you know, join me for a cigar. Mm-hmm. So I go in there. It's evident, like it's a man cave. I go into this man cave and in are some of Atlanta's notable, maybe powerful, like community men, you know, like these men in Atlanta, like, you know, a couple of lawyers that we know, a couple of politicians that we know, everybody's in there smoking a cigar. I'd never smoked a cigar before in my life. You know, I thought it was maybe okay, like it was cool, but I'd never smoked a cigar before in my life. And it was a thing that he loved. And so, but I enjoyed the atmosphere to my very core. Everybody, I love the atmosphere. I love the people that I met at Highland Cigar. I love that whole culture, the cigar culture. I actually understood there's an actual cigar culture. I just always enjoyed it. Fast forward to a few years later, we had an opportunity to build a business. And when it came to making a decision as to what we would like to do, we were like, we should open up a cigar lounge. We found a venue on Peter Street. Um, our business partner had off the hook barbershop and he had, that's on the top of Peter Street, right? He had a relationship with the owner of the building towards the end of Peter Street. And um, we were like, let's open up a cigar shop. Let's put in a bar. Let's do craft cocktails. Let's do some dope stuff. So I'm actually, the partnership initially was amongst these two men. Mm-hmm. You watch these 52, 53-year-old men, like, you know, 50-something-year-old men, like, you know, map out these ideas. We should call it Habano Heaven. We should do this with the furniture. We should do this. We should build a bar this size. And I slowly started dropping in my two cents here and there. Like, mm-hmm. you should make it a safe space, right? Like, you need to make it a safe space for women to kind of come into. Because that's what we all kind of enjoyed with each other. Like throughout the four or five years that we'd been together at that point, as we built relationships, we really truly saw like, you know, what he brought to the pa- what to the table with his relationships and then the energy and the younger, a different cross section of people that we brought to the table together. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen that sort of accomplished either. So we were like, we can sort of put together a lounge and it can be something different and we can kind of make an impact the way we want to do Uh, we want to do it. And that's how we got into becoming cigar lounge owners. They sat me down and they're like, we would like to be for you to be an operating partner. And I became an operating partner of Habano Cigar Lounge. And that's where I got started, like officially, like as a entrepreneur. So let's time travel back a little bit, a little bit further back. So you're saying you've done parties, you've done events, you've done bartending. I mean, what's your core background? I mean, where are you from and how did you even get into that space? Oh, so picture this. I'm an Indian girl with the Pentecostal, (laughs) super strict Pentecostal parents that didn't drink, didn't party. There was a huge culture shock when we came into this country. And we came from Kuwait after the Gulf invasion, right, by ways of Bombay. So we're immigrants to this country. And there was just a lot of learning. My parents, you know, just kind of cling to religion to sort of help them navigate through the American culture. And me... I didn't fit in. I couldn't fit in. I didn't know how to speak to people. I didn't know how to really engage. Um, My parents wouldn't let me do any kind of sports. So when it was time for college, I'd applied to Manhattan College, gotten a full scholarship. And then 9-11 happened. And I was like, just my life is still so restricted. I just needed to leave. So I applied to UGA and came down to UGA the following January. And 
I lost my mind. (laughs) I was like, I had freedom, flexibility. I started to develop these relationships. I was able to kind of learn how to engage people at a genuine and authentic level. And that's a gift, but it's also, I think, part of my upbringing as well. Because, you know, I wasn't raised to think I was that much like, you know, or just, you know, to be pretentious or anything. We were very down to earth and very grounded as a family. And I started just sort of supporting with parties, like, you know, just doing ticket sales at the door, like giving, getting, you know, just collecting money. I was the door girl, you know, collecting money at the door. I started just building relationships, started promoting, like, I'll post a flyer, like, I'll send this out to a couple of different people. Like, I'll put this out in a couple of dorms, um, tell a couple of girls about it. I've always kind of been a nurturer. I remember when people used to be like, oh, Donna's bringing the girls. So that means we're not going to get away with too much. Mm. And like we, again, like cultivating a safe space for girls to be able to have fun, drink, dance, party, and then go home and be safe was always been important for me. And I just, as we started, and I kind of did well with that, right? Like made sure everybody got home, like became like a point person, point of contact, being able to communicate with everybody what the details of the night was, or, you know, just be the point person, like everybody get in a cab. So it just developed a system, trust, and like, you know, just a, uh, an ability to gauge my surroundings. And that was also heightened as I started working with um, Michael, who's been 20 something years in an industry in clubs and lounges. And so, mm-hmm. and then, so when we opened up Habanos, like, you know, um, we, we were pretty solid, like it was a safe space. So that's always been kind of important for me because I like to have fun. I like to have a mm-hmm. good time. I like to have a couple of drinks. I like to party. I like to just let my hair down and have fun. And you need that. My, again, like my culture would tell me like, you know, you don't need that. That's, you know, you've got to kind of stay pious mm. and graceful and gracious and quiet. I've always been rebellious. <laughs> and just, I was like, I'm not going to do things that way. So what was your major at UGA? I'm a poli-sci major. <laughs> I was supposed to go to law school. Wow. I never made it. Out of college, my first job was with a payroll company, mm-hmm. and um, they hired me for HR. It was a small, small company, very small, and they were just like, oh, you've got talent. You need a job. Like, we got you. It was bored. I was not enthused, and I was just whatever. When my boss approached me, and he was just like, you know, you might do well in sales. You like people. Like, you know, you might do good in sales. I'm like, I'm not going door to door and selling payroll. And, and he's like, no, there's a system in place. You know, just you'll do well with sales. You can meet goals. So I was always a sales girl. I did really well there. I got headhunted for a second company. That's like, you know, just I've always been in sales. I wouldn't say marketing, but, you know, just I picked up a few things as far as branding, brand strategy. It's where my passion sort of is, like sort of developing a narrative. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, in that space, I mean, you always hear about some crazy stories that happen in the nightlife environment. Like, you know, if a bouncer kind of chokeholds somebody and throws them out, you always hear about liquor flying across the bar from time to time. Like, what's the craziest story that you can recap that has happened in that environment for you? Oh, so let me tell you something. (laughs) When I first moved down to Atlanta, right, and I told you, like, you know, just I was on the scene, I was cute. Like, you know, people were like, yo, let me take you out to a few places in in, in the A, like some classic Atlanta spots. So he was like, okay, you ready to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Where are we going? I'm like, it's fine. You know, I don't even know where it is. And we pull up to the spot called Central Station. As I'm walking in, the bouncer is dragging this dude 
by his dreads <laughs> through that deck. You know, that wouldn't have you been to Central Station? I haven't. No. Oh, man, you should have gone. <laughs> I, I think they might still be open. I'm not sure about COVID, but I know they were open a little before COVID. Yeah. He's dragging the dude by dreads and through him. I thought it was like a Mortal Kombat move, like literally just <laughs> onto that gravel lot. And I was like, I'm in. Take me inside. I need a drink. I want to be right there. And that was my first spot. The next spot these fools took me to is like, yo, you want some steak? Like, I'll take you to the best steak place in the city. I was like, okay, we're driving down. We're driving around and we're driving down Cheshire Bridge Road. We passed those two big Italian spots, um, passing all these like, you know, dollhouse and things like that. And we pull up to this parking lot where there's these big metal structures. It's a place called Onyx. And I was like, I had no idea Onyx was a strip club, like, because we'd never been before. He's like, yeah, come on in. They've got steak. I walk in and we're at a strip club. <laughs> As I'm walking in, there's a dancer on the pole and the bartender sitting there bleaching right all around her. It's just the whole area just smells like straight bleach. And so those are my first, like, first, like, jarring moments in the hospital, like Atlanta hospitality scene, right? Like in its hospitality strip clubs, it's a part of our hospitality scene over here. Same thing with Central Station, like Central Station is the big part of our hospitality legacy here in Atlanta. And I was in love. Like I love my fine dining experiences now. Like I've been exposed and learned a lot more, but just to see people have fun and be who they are and be comfortable in a space and a venue where they're catered to the way they're supposed to be catered to, like is a passion of mine. I love it. I live for it. I live for it. Like nobody blinked an eye when the dude was just like this. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm like in shock, but everybody was just like, let's go next person in line. Let's go. I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely your energy, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast because like you have this abundance of energy, right? And that's why I've kind of deemed you kind of like the queen of the night. So that's kind of your past, right? These are some things that you've done. So what are you working on right now? So some of the things that we're working on right now, um, I started a company a couple of weeks ago, and I know you and I had sort of been talking about developing a brand. I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to go into, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to work with someone. And I'd interviewed with a few people. I'd interviewed with you know, Rocksteady for a GM position. I'd interviewed with the Hyatt. I was going to go to work. I was going to do something. I didn't imagine myself sitting still after we sold Habanos. I owed it to myself and I needed to prove it to myself. So I did a couple of consultations. I built a lounge in Johns Creek, um, Georgia. It is called Lion's Den and Beaumont Cigar Bar. I developed their humidor program, their bar program, worked to staff the bar, worked to staff the entire restaurant, and um, started to work with them to get a chef in there and then closed out the consult. I understand about myself that I like my short-term projects. I don't plan on being anybody's GM. I don't see myself attached to someone else's brand long-term like that. But I love and I enjoy helping people sort of like lift them off the ground and get them started and get them going to where they think that they want to be and where they want to be. So I worked on that. Currently, Again, now we developed a company a couple of weeks ago because we developed a company to work with Sun Goddess Wines. I was trying to see if I had a bottle left, but I believe all gone. 
<laughs> I need to get a new case of each. Sun Goddess Wines from Fantanel Winery. Sun Goddess Wines is by Mary J. Blige. So our company is sort of focused on immersing Sun Goddess Wines through the Atlanta market. We have developed a strategy for Mary's team or Trinity Beverage Group who carries the wine, who bring the wine to market. And um, we're sort of tasked with immersing the market and strategically placing them in just the right places with the right people so as to meet our goals to get everybody drinking Sun Goddess Wines. <laughs> My company, it's Atlanta Hospitality Collective. Thank you. What's the name of the company? <laughs> it's Atlanta Hospitality Collective. Yeah. And um, it's hmm. going to be exactly what we've always kind of wanted. Well, Habanos was one of those places. And I'm glad you kind of started off with the fact, like, you know, how we sort of got together was you and through Devon and a couple of other relationships that we had our mutual relationships hmm. And we find out like, you know, hey, I have this talent. And we're like, hey, we have this platform. We'd love to share our platform with you. And we've always found that model or that strategy successful in building, like collaboratively working to build mutual success. That's always like, you know, just, just you can't be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. You can't approach everything the same way. Different people engage right. in different styles. Different people are looking for different things. Different people can do different things that you cannot do well. And when you, and Habano's taught me all of that. And Atlanta Hospitality Collective, what I would love for it to be is whatever your needs are, I think someone just texted me a few minutes ago and said, you know, you have a strong network of very powerful people. And I think that is a testament to some of the work that we've done in the community and some of the relationships that we've built, but also some of the relationships that people have afforded us. And we've been able to extend back out to the community, to the people. We don't hoard a lot of things. I just always believe like, you know, your relationship with this person is going to pan out to be what it's going to be. And if you look good and he looks good, I look good. Like, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, like it's still not a bad reflection on me because there was a footprint created. It moved forward. So Atlanta Hospitality Collective is focused on a broad vision of what hospitality is from creating uh, consultations for allowing visionaries and new entrepreneurs, giving them a roadmap on how to get a restaurant, get a food truck, go through the licensing and permitting process. You know, how many parking spaces do you need to have for this building for you to get this restaurant and this occupancy? So that's a consultation part. Lease negotiations, like, you know, okay, this is your building. How can we, you know, let's talk about tenant improvement. We do things like that. Um, Bar program, like, you know, just in the four or five years that we've been working at Habanos alone, we've developed a great relationship with Brown Foreman, with Bacardi, with Remy. And those are our relationships that we don't have a home and a brick and mortar anymore. It behooves us to bring them to other locations. You've got the liquor license now. You've got a brick and mortar. So we, like I said, like, you know, if you can, you and I can work together, we can come to an agreement. Like we'd love to bring you all of these relationships that can be a resource for you because people don't really understand, Mm -hmm. especially in hospitality. Like we don't know, we don't know people of color. We're never privy to exactly what resources are available to us. So we're always scrambling and, you know, we're always trying to figure things out and, just again, like I said, like, you know, just in developing these relationships, we've come to understand quite a bit about how Atlanta works, 
how politics works, how to get your liquor license, who, how you go about these things. And we'd like to, you know, whatever your vision is, if you have a vision, mm-hmm. if you have a good, we can, we can get you capital. We have great relationships like, you know, that, that can work to get you some capital. We want to make it happen. We're solution focused. We're solution driven. You know, money's always the goal. And I believe in working together, we can really do that. And we do that through food and beverage because I believe, so while America's currently depicted as this completely polarized country, which it is, I think a really good platform to sort of deliver a different message or a really good platform to sort of just pivot that conversation is through the food and beverage scene, especially and, and, and most especially cigar culture, because, you know, people want to enjoy a cigar. People want to enjoy a cocktail. Everybody's going to enjoy the good fried flounder at the Beverly. <laughs> you know, just, just, it's a starting point. You know, it's a starting point where you can develop relationships and we, you know, just, I, I'm optimistic all the time because I see it happen. I've seen some really weird relationships develop. Like, you know, when you're like, what are some of the weirdest things? That you're like, you know, like this dude coming in here into Habanos wearing a MAGA hat drinking his um, Sweetwater 420 and the dude next to him is somebody from Morehouse suggesting he drink a Sweetwater G13 instead. He buys, the dude with the MAGA hat bought the next round. They're both talking cigars and like, it's quite obvious how different, how strikingly different these people are. So I was like, I'm just lived for that moment. I know I don't, I don't, you know, it was dope. I've seen stuff like that. Yeah. You brought up a really strong point about just like the cultural differences and understanding like how to get access to things, right? So being that you're not only were you a business owner, but you sold a business and like just in that achievement and that faith, that's like, like a whole nother ballgame because most people are trying to build a business. You're at the point where you sold the business and now you're moving on. So what did that journey really look like? I mean, like, like what, how did that pan out? So I think like, you know, just you build businesses and you build things to sell, like for monetary gain. Um, You build this brand around yourself, you build this business around yourself. And people were like, yo, like, you know, are you interested in bringing on a partner? Are you interested in expanding? Are you interested in doing that? And just at that time as a family, like, you know, Michael and I, my ex and I, we had a business together. We had two small children together. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. We were heavily into the community together. Michael's currently working with city council on a huge um, nightlife project right now in which I'm sort of spearheading a task force. And it became overwhelming and it came to that decision. And, you know, as a small business owner and being a little small minded, and that's a test, like, you know, I'm just talking about myself. It was hard for me to get let go because I thought it would appear to be failure. Right. Mm -hmm. But in sitting down and going through that process, as far as that, it is a true journey, negotiating with lawyers negotiating uh, terms and conditions, negotiating a buyout, negotiating, like, you know, what everybody gets. It's very eye-opening, very humbling, very humbling. It was very emotional because <laughs> I almost thought I was like, my baby was going off to college. Like, you know, you're just going off to college. Um, it was dope. It was in retrospect, like, you know, now that I can sort of like 
now that I'm separated from it and it's over and done with, Mm -hmm. it was super dope. Like we had a great team and that's where you really understand the power of a strong team, right? Everybody has a part to play in all of that. Our lawyer that, you know, just sort of brokered everything was Michael Sterling. Michael Sterling was a mayoral candidate. He is the husband of Eva Marcel Sterling. Uh, <laughs> and um, he is, you know, just, just been pivotal in a lot of different, like the legalese side of things for Habanos. And he's someone that we trust. He had our best interest. And that was very important, you know, because you saw different people were, you know, different people who were involved. Like I was looking for something different. Michael was looking for something different. Like everybody's results, like what they wanted out of a deal was completely different. Mm -hmm. And you had to reconcile all of that is a process, is a journey, because it's not always about money, right? You want the story to end properly. You want that narrative to end properly. We want you to be like, and then they sold. And that's not how it happened. So Mm -hmm. it was humbling. It was learning. You understood like these things take time and it is a process and you need a strong team that's had the experience at a high level to execute some of these things because you can get screwed Mm -hmm. over. So Thank God. And I will say this about Dennis McKinley. Dennis McKinley, who owns Crew Hookah Lounge, is um, the person. And he's an entrepreneur. He also owns Hot Dog Factory. And he's also plays a little part in uh, Housewives of Atlanta. He purchased Crew Hookah Lounge. And it's a true testament to the type of man he is and the type of businessman he is. You know, just he did a dope job. Like he did a great job. Like everybody, it was a fair and equitable sale. Like it went well. And that's all, you know, everybody, it it was fair and equitable and everybody was at peace. And Mm -hmm. that's really a lot to say. With that inside, right? I mean, thinking about when you have business partnerships, now you always hear about the 51% share, right? And everybody else has 49 or it's 20, 20, and then somebody else has 60%. I'm not asking for the exact numbers, but going into an actual sale, if you can kind of describe what does that look like as far, is it more so an equity payout? Is it more so you get revenue for a particular time after the business is sold? What kind of things did you guys get into with the equity share model? So I, what I will tell you is this, right? Like ultimately it comes down to like who put the most amount of money into the business. You can sit mm-hmm. here and say that, hey, we're two, we're one third operators here, there and everywhere, right? Like it can be on paper. We have an operating agreement amongst ourselves. Even if you define that salary, like, you know, Michael as a GM gets this amount for these many years and we weren't able to kind of fulfill those salary amounts, but still give him the equity at that level. Me as like marketing, branding events, you know, social media, like the responsible roles and responsibilities that I held did this amount of work at this amount of rate, like, you know, standard industry rates or whatever. Like this is how much I've put in with sweat equity, right? You realize like the time and effort and energy that you put in. And this is the sad part, <laughs> kind of doesn't matter at the end because it, they're looking at the dollar amount, right? Like, you know, that's cool. You guys have an operating agreement. We can be fair and equitable. But at the end of the day, like he's a person like, or you're the person that put this amount of money. in. So he gets this amount of money in and this amount of re- uh, return. We also took on a couple of investors, right? Like we had to go ahead and pay that off. And then we had a certain amount of product. We had liquor. The liquor license was worth certain, right? A certain amount. The humidor the well the cigars he didn't want so the, you know he gave that back to us um so you learn that like that operating agreement that you had in place just all of the terms and conditions that you kind of had in place like it's a different conversation you may have all of these things in place but it can become a different conversation 
And some of those things don't necessarily apply to these negotiations. Like with this sale, you think you have this much of a say-so and you really don't. (laughs) So again, like I said, that was kind of humbling. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting because I mean, a lot of people, they may not even realize when they go into a sale, like you had a physical brick and mortar that you're talking about liquidation, right? right? You had to kind of liquidate like what was on the shelves based upon the return. If you wanted to actually, he didn't want the cigars. So then you had to kind of essentially either keep the cigars or sell them for wholesale somewhere and move them. Right. Got it. So another thing that you brought up earlier was like, just like the whole family environment. I mean, you're a mom, a full-time mom of two boys. So I mean, how do you juggle your work life with your family life? You know, our family is a two family household now, right? We'd made a commitment to two different things. Like, you know, just, we'd had such a strong reputation as um, community driven business owners, like, you know, just entrepreneurs. And we had such an impact. We didn't want to lose that. We didn't want to lose the trajectory. We didn't want to fall off the path that we were on. Again, a huge learning process, right? And uh, we made a commitment to our kids. No matter what, we're going to ensure that they're healthy, they're happy, they're safe, and they're taken care of, which led to us sort of saying, we're going to keep working with each other. So as a mom and as a woman, the burden of I'm going to be honest over here and I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm going to say like, you know, the burden of like raising your children is generally falls on the mother, right? Like culturally, that's a society deems as like, you know, you're the mom, you're going to raise them. And um, I have a great co-parenting relationship where it's literally like a 50-50 thing. Michael's with the baby right now, right? So I can do this podcast, but I'm going to go pick him up from school later on. And as I pick them up from school, drop them off, I'm going to get ready and host the event tonight at 7 p.m. at Australia. And it's, we have to always communicate and it's, it is juggling. I have to stay organized and I have to communicate and I have a great business partner still and a good, the father of my child is extremely receptive to the journey that I kind of want to take, right? Like he's not going to hinder my growth. And like I said, the commitment that we made to our kids and the business and just to our bottom line, to our finances, like, you know, we want to make money, right? You want to make money. I want to make money. This is the things I'm good at. This is the things that you, you set this up for me. I'll go ahead and knock it out with doing this event. A lot of communication, different expectations around different things, you know, just I give myself a hard time because I feel like I'm not always there for my kids, you know, physically being the mom, being this huge nurturer and, you know, just I'm out here, right? Like I'm hosting an event, but I'm also, you know, taking these appointments and things like that. And it's not that I'm just, you know, really, I have a purpose and I have intentions and, you know, I have a goal slowly, but surely like, you know, I'm sort of shedding all of that, that stigma and some of that guilt. Um, It's a process as to like, you know, me not physically always being the one, you know, that's raising my kids and feeding them and like staying at home and doing the virtual learning. Like we split that up. Like, you know, just I'll do today, I'll do the good morning song and the first set of lessons. And uh, can you pick them up, you know, and you do that. It's a lot of coordinating between the two of us, but um, I am blessed and I am one of very, very few women that can say that I have the opportunity to be able to move the way I want to move because I have a good man that's a good business partner and a good dad, a great dad, great, great person that's supportive of what we want to do as a family for our kids. 
got it. First of all, I want to commend both because I know you and I know Mike, right? So just being in that environment, and like you said, seeing you guys being a pillar of the community for a period of time. And then like, obviously you guys are apart right now, but to see that you guys are still on a co-parenting tip and you're, you're still united on multiple different levels. That's something that anybody that's in your shoes would love to have because there's a lot of people out there that don't have that right yeah. i mean once households are separated usually to, it's almost to the point to where phones don't ring anymore right it's to the point to where maybe you get a text message maybe you get an email so f- for you guys to be on that level is definitely um to, should be commended definitely so with all that going on right so what is your morning routines what does your morning habits look like oh i definitely have come to realize i start off with a little bit of time to myself I have to just sort of just center and it looks like different things all the time. You know, just some days it's just being able to just have a coffee and a cigar in the morning. Those are like, you know, it's my, my maybe like some of my Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings when I don't have the kids or sometimes, I don't know if you follow my girl, Marsha Shackelford. She does yoga. She does this morning yoga on her Instagram platforms. So I sometimes just kind of join in. I might not follow everything, but just to sort of have her do a guided breathing and meditative um, Mm -hmm. sort of session, that sort of just grounds me just a little bit. I've just now started to just sort of start writing down lists in the morning. Sometimes it's a huge to-do list. Sometimes it's just like, you know, I'm really grateful for this little doodle that Gabe has in my book over here. And I'll just draw around that. Just taking a little bit of time, carving out a little bit of time for me has served me very well in the past few months. Continuing just sort of recharge has served me well. That's part of that. And then, you know, just always looking at the emails, communication, like my phones are always going off. It's always an email that I need to look at. There's always a text message that came through late last night and developing some boundaries around that has been super helpful. And um, lots of phone calls. Like, you know, the mornings always start off with a con- either a conference call on a Monday or call to, it's either a conference call on Monday that we're, we're all on together with me and Michael or, you know, just I'm calling him to like sort of map out our day. So then we communicate with each other, you know, just, okay, the kids are this, like, this is what I need from you tomorrow. These are what the things, so like we can sort of coordinate and stay organized. After that, we definitely, uh, lately I've been going to visit some accounts during the afternoon. The other day, I'm ashamed to say, but I was over at the Beverly in Glenwood. Mario, who used to own uh, 255 on Peter Street, I'd opened it up. It's been out there for like about three years or so. And, you know, we presented Sun Goddess Wines to him and without like, you know, just in a moment's notice, he was like, let's pick it up, let's bring it in, let's sell it. So, you know, just visiting all these different restaurant tours amidst this pandemic and just sort of talking to them and seeing how I can support and just gaining some insight from them, like sort of offering some resources. And we've been having some great conversations throughout the weeks and with some great entrepreneurs, which always feeds my soul. Then comes Donna and that creative, like, craziness, right? Like, oh, we should do this. We can do this. We can do this. We can pull this person in. And then everybody's like, oh, slow down. Like, write this shit down. Just like, shoot me an email, bro. Like, so that way we can kind of follow your thoughts. Then we kind of wrap it. We pick up our kids. I definitely spend, um, you know, just maybe three days out the week. I'm down there, like, you know, just with them. And then three days out the week, they're with me. So mapping all of that out. And then at some point or the other, like, again, like it has, I have to consciously take time to make sure I eat. <laughs> you heard of all of this list of all these things. I'm like, oh yeah, eating, drinking a smoothie, 
making sure I'm hydrated. But my girls are super dope. They're just like, yo, drink your water. Like take a multivitamin. Hey, I picked up a multivitamin for you. So, you know, my community is great. Just we all kind of take care of each other. But that's what my routine kind of looks like. And then, oh, God. And then my events. And then, you know, every uh, Tuesday night I had a last yesterday, I had an event over at the Beverly tonight where I'm co-hosting. It's actually Aaron. I can drop names, but, you know, there's industry leaders that sort of like are spearheading the initiative. And I support ancillary by, um, you know, bringing them sun goddess, um, doing the cigar smoking. And it's in what we deem to be safely operated spaces, which is also important, right? Like I can't take full response. Like, yes, yes, we're out here hosting events in the middle of a pandemic at restaurants in public settings. Yes, we're going to continue to do that. It's a food and beverage. Like this is our bread and butter, right? Like you cannot tell any restaurant tour to stay at home and collect any type of monies the government's sort of getting in. All that shit is on hold right now. <laughs> Secondly, mm-hmm. restaurateurs are not just responsible for themselves and their households. They're responsible for these bartenders, servers, barback chefs, line cooks, homeless people that we employ, like, you know, people off the streets that we employ to take do little tasks for us. We're the ones I feel like the restaurant hospitality scene is what I feel like is just going to sort of forge things forward. And so that's why politics is really important for us as well, right? Like, it's important for our government to know that resources need to be like when they talk about that big bailout for food and beverage scene for restaurateurs, that's freaking important. <laughs> we are out here because we don't have an opportunity. We don't have the option to stay home. We are out here because we don't have a different opportunity. We're out here because these, la- let me tell you something. These landlords are not giving anybody breaks on their leases. <laughs> You will hear that from restaurant tour after restaurant tour after restaurant tour and bar owners and growler shop liquor store. Owners. They can sit on the property. <laughs> they own it. They own shopping centers. They own just these shopping centers. Like, you know, those stuff that all these Kroger's on, you know, they've got 22 of them across the country. They can sit on it. They're good. They got all the loans. They got the money. They're the ones making and developing law. You know what I mean? So it's really important for us to be involved and for us to make our voice heard on what our needs are. And for us to really sort of be involved at a higher level, it's not just voting. You have to go beyond the vote. Yeah. Which brings me down to another topic. So obviously I'm calling you the queen of the night for obvious reasons, right? But at the same time, it's kind of like you're in alignment to essentially become a politician as well, too. I mean, like just hearing you speak in the last five to 10 minutes, right? I mean, the last things you just said was pretty much get up, get your ass out there and go and vote. And this is why you need to vote, (laughs) right? So in that environment, on one hand, you have like, you're becoming the queen of the night, right? You got like the nightlife, you got the pictures going on, you got the cigars. But on the other hand, like you're really on some community development stuff. So where do you see yourself in 20 years? I mean, obviously both of these worlds you're juggling them right now, but 20 years from now, where do you optimally see yourself? I'm an immigrant in this country. And, you know, I feel like every politician in here in Atlanta is a lawyer. <laughs> Everybody done gone to Morehouse. Everybody done gone to whatever. I have always been a huge, I do believe that my support and my words and my platforms hold a certain amount of weight in how I'm able to relate to people And I relate the same in how I relate to my audience is how I relate to certain politicians, right? So I lend my support to some very unique people. 
uh, when it was the mayoral race, I stood behind Michael Sterling because I interacted with him on a couple of different occasions, right? On some other things. And I had a very candid conversation with him because I'm like, well, what do you, and he had not been married to Eva yet, right? But she was on the, just, you're dealing with this reality TV star and this model. And I just had to ask the burning question, like, you know, what that everybody had in their heart. And this man sat there outside of, because he came in there asking for our support. And he sat out there and thought I was worthy of an answer, an honest answer. And that I just felt he has so much integrity I could do nothing but throw 110% behind him. And it was kind of a house divided at that time. Um, Cesar Mitchell was the heir apparent, you know, in the mayoral race. And that's who everybody had kind of stood behind. I stood behind Michael Sterling because I valued our relationship and I valued that conversation outside of Habanos. I believed in the Atlanta that he could sort of lead us into. When he dropped out of the race, I went to Keisha Bottoms. I asked the same difficult questions. Like, you know, she's just, I was just like, you know, is it important for you to be approachable? As a woman, you seem very closed off and very reserved. And she, again, like we were at, it's the bar out in Midtown across from I can't, I can't tell you. So it was a Keisha Bottoms event and I'd asked her the question and she looked us in the eye and she was able to answer it. And I think that level of confidence that she inspired in me, I threw my weight behind her as well. Um, most recently, I supported Antonio Brown for city council. And again, I know that he's also a very different candidate on city council, right? I choose people for whatever reason I believe is you know important for me. But I'm a huge support system and I'm a voice for people in the community and I'm a voice for them. And I'm able to sort of take their message and deliver it to my platform. And I've, even if, you know, you don't stand by the candidate that I believe should be in a position to be able to have a conversation with people and to sort of spark that conversation and get people to do a little bit more research and just get people more involved from anything from behind standing behind a politician or a candidate to a community cleanup is to rally, like to get people out and about and involved is important for me. And I really think that that's currently my role. 20 years from now, I will probably be serving the city of Atlanta at a higher level. Um, I'm currently working on a project with my ex again with the city of Atlanta that's going to sort of unveil itself and sort of present itself in a few months or so, maybe even like, you know, in 2021, in the beginning of January. But it has to kind of do with just really strengthening businesses in this restaurant, in this uh, food and beverage space in the hospitality scene and providing them with resources, affording them and educating them on, you know, compliance and standards, like just really sort of tightening us up. There's no reason that we can't have buckhead life. There's no reason that we can't be the next Ford Fry. Some of these chefs out here and behind the scenes, these executive chefs, Chef Tony Mann, Chef Scott Lee Innes, like these African-American chefs, Chef Asha Gomez, this Indian chef, like there's some dope chefs out here. There's some great personalities out here that deserve platforms just like Ford Fry does, like Kevin Gillespie does, like all these white boys do. And I don't have a problem saying that. And, you know, I think there's some people that receive it a certain way. There's some people like we can't be bothered with that anymore. And that's I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And I don't think we can be afraid anymore. We can't hide behind a lot of this decorum and this shit that we developed to kind of silence people because 
it's a farce or it's, it's just a fallacy. It's just like, you know, method of control. And that's something I fight a lot of as well. Like you see a little bit of that feminist movement in me as well. Like just yeah. people are like you're in the community, you're a mom, you got this page called sex and the cigar. <laughs> you got some racy pictures, but you're telling people that your racy pictures doesn't allude to the fact that, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it all makes sense to me. Does it not make sense to you? But if you would just not try to kind of box me in and figure me out Mm -hmm. and just start to follow the journey with me, I believe I can take people, you know, just my leadership. I do believe that I'm in a position of leadership. Mm -hmm. I'm not certain like how we can kind of define it. I take people where I go and I believe in like, you know, again, that's what Atlanta Hospitality Collective is. You build a platform. I'm not the marketing girl. I've seen it. When I saw your proposal, (laughs) when I saw your brand strategy, when I saw your outline, like, you know, this is how we go about it. When we had those conversations, I was like, okay, well, we have a guy, you know, let me refer you. Let me tell you like, you know, like, you know, a little bit about him. Like, let me introduce you to Chanel. You, oh, you need a photographer. Let me tell you about Paul. Let actually just look up, look up what you got over here about Paul. Got it. Got it. I think it's ironic that your name is Donna Matthews. Definitely sounds like a political campaign name. 100%. 100%. Like, you just put some stars, red, white, and blue behind it. And um, like I said, again, just by the way you're speaking right now, you're passionate about it. I wouldn't be surprised to see you running sooner or later. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's always a lot of men that tell me this. And you're the third person that's told me this. I am such an empath and I am such a hothead. Just when I say I, I support Antonio Brown, like, you know, he's a very passionate for the people type of dude. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, he gives 200%. And I've seen the sacrifices like people like Andre Dickens, you know, make. I've seen the sacrifices that Keisha Bottoms has made. I've seen the positions that she's sort of been put in, right? And I know, and I'm confident that I have a community that'll support me. A little afraid (laughs) to really even open up to that. But like I said, like, I'm committed to build. I know what our kids can do. Like, I know that we can pick. This is our city. (laughs) There's no other city in in the country like the city of Atlanta. And it is made and it is paved by people like you and I. Like when we got this contract uh, with Mary J. Blige and when we got this contract, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, we've got to go the influencer route. And I'm like, you in Atlanta, (laughs) you're sitting next to Bobby Brown one day. You're running into T.I. at the barbershop the next day. You know, Vernon Jones just got off the same chair that (laughs) at the barbershop that my partner owns, you know, just, just, this is Atlanta and you hold just as much weight as these guys do. You know what I mean? Like Carl Booker at off the hook barbershop. That's where Stacey Abrams was. That's where Stacey Abrams was there twice. Corey Booker was there with Stacey Abrams once. We've developed and supported winners out of that barbershop. They didn't want to do it at Habanos. They wanted to do it at the barbershop. And Carl's bar, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the influence that man wields. Dude from Mississippi, like real, like, you know, Southern Mississippi, like has a, just had a vision, like started small, a barbershop, a cigar lounge. He's always been an entrepreneur. He's dope. Like, you know, he's awesome. And he's the people, like, those are the people like that's, and it's important for me to kind of like continue to share proper narratives, right? And sort of like, Mm -hmm. it's important for us to kind of be like, I understand that that's your perspective. But let me tell you what our truth is. Let me tell you how we sit, like, you know, how we talk and what we share and what our opinions are, and what our reality is. Hmm. So I'm not afraid. I'm open to anything. But, you know, I think, it's, yeah, 20 years from now is probably just about right. Like, when I'm 50, 
<laughs> that might be the time I get my act together and run for something. <laughs> but thank you for the vote of confidence. Yeah, definitely. I definitely hear it in your voice. So the next question I have for you, right? It's, you know, what tools do you use in your industry that you would not be able to do without? I don't know if I can wrap my head around that question. Like in the food and beverage industry, what? Yeah, I mean, I think you're in food and beverage, but I think you're more so a consultant in that space. So prime example, like, I mean, what tools did you use to kind of get the Mary J. Bly's brand off with the liquor? Like, how did you? People. Um, relationships. Mm-hmm. You think that as a being tasked with brand immersion, right? Mm-hmm. Being tasked, we're, we're tasked with brand immersion. That's what you know. We're we're going to sell these amount of cases by December thirty first, two thousand and twenty. That's our job. And you kind of look at it, and I'm like, how do we best approach approach this? So you know, I know that Aaron and Jay have been in nightlife for a very, very long period of time. They've cultivated a certain energy about themselves, a certain energy that they sort of wield like in different parties and like, and they've developed an audience. It is, and using them and sort of, and using, you know, supporting their events, supporting people like Jay, supporting people like Aaron, supporting people like the, you know, Sunset, their event is Sunset Wednesdays at Estrella supporting these events and just sort of showing up and continuing to sort of put their message out there. People, developing people, developing, supporting people, fortifying what they're already doing, supporting their vision, believing in them. That's a strategy that we employ. And it's always been successful. As far as training, training and, um, you know, just sort of educating as soon as we get information, like, you know, just looking at stuff that comes out from the CDC is very, like, you have to keep abreast of like new guidelines and standards that kind of come down. But oh, you also have to, as that stuff comes down from the CDC, right, from scientists and doctors that develop these standards and guidelines, you also have daily operators. <laughs> these GMs, these bartenders, these servers have been cleaning up and serving drinks and taking away glasses and putting things in front of people for a very long period of time. They're good at what they do. So sort of developing training material in light of the guidelines that they've sort of dropped down and sort of continuing to have conversations and training staff and doing with the part of the consulting, it's all about training our staff and educating them on different methods, newer standards, just you know, how to deal with the rowdy guy, the guy that you just saw put a uh, roofie in her drink. We've seen that. We're talking about crazy shit that's happened before in the past. I've seen that several times. I think Michael has gotten roofied a couple of times. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. It's crazy, but it does happen, right? Like, you know, but how do you deal with it? How do you cover conversation? Who do you call? How do you have security? Proper protocols, putting girls in cars, they're going home to get in their purses, you know, Training people and equipping people, especially younger people who are now taking the risks to be working in this industry, you know, they're just like, we've got to work. We have to take the risk. Like, you know, just you've got parents of, you know, parents and different people kind of staying at home. But now you've got a different set of new school industry leaders sort of developing. And it Mm -hmm. behooves us as like, you know, just Michael's been in this for like 20, 30 something years. Right. And he's 50 something years old. Um, sort of bridging that gap 
through communication, training, different platforms like this, like, you know, posting this is going to be super helpful for someone, I hope. Consultations, you know, just sort of saying, hey, we're here just to support you and help you grow and move it in the right way. Um, Having candid conversations to operators who are bad operators is important as well. (laughs) Like, we want to see everybody succeed. And again, you can't be afraid to have the right conversations with people. Other tools, just, you know, proper marketing, social media strategies, employing that to really kind of deliver messages has been very important and useful and successful for us as well. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, how can people find you online? I mean, you're talking about these social media campaigns. I mean, you definitely got, like I said, a hell of a night following going on. So, I mean, like, how could people get in touch with you? I'm on all social. I have about five different accounts that I've been managing and growing Mm -hmm. (laughs) over the years. And, you know, just initially, you don't look at it like it means anything. But then I was like, you know, like, hey, I'm delivering this message. And I'm like looking at all um, as I'm managing all these likes and feeds and everything. I'm like, damn, I made an impact. First and foremost, if you'd like to know me personally, uh, you can find me on Donna Uncensored. I spell my name with one N. So it's D-O-N-A underscore uncensored. If you'd like to follow me professionally and get some insight and get some exclusive events that's coming up in the near, near future, follow Atlanta Hospitality Collective. I can post all of this on Donna Uncensored on all these pages that I'm sort of naming as I post all of this information later on. And then there's still Habano Cigar Lounge. Um, That is something that, you know, we're looking to revamp. That's not going to die. We're probably going to do a 2.0 version of that. We've been in communication, but it's on the table and it may or may not be a cigar lounge. (laughs) We're looking at different things. Um, And then I'm managing Habano Cigar Lounge and the most raciest... (laughs) of them all is sex and the cigar. It started off as like, you know, just, I was just trying to find myself and find a voice. And I was just like, maybe if I develop a new personality and deliver something in this method, but that's been evolving. And I've been sort of looking at my evolution, like as far as my thoughts and my process and the content that I'm sort of sharing, it's a, you can see it's a lot of feminist stuff on there. Just, I'm not a man bashing feminist. I think you need both. In order for like, we have to have a relationship, like, you know, just we're created to procreate. Um, I do believe in God, but I don't believe in certain institutions that have been created to deliver messages to us. But I do believe like there's clearly, if you just open your eyes and look around and talk to people, there's clearly instances where you'd see that's a little bit bigger than you and I in this moment right now, you know, what we think and what we know. And I think it's important for us to cultivate good relationships amongst men and women to really educate ourselves on some of the challenges that you face. Like, you know, just some challenges I've been like no shave November is coming up and it's focused around men's health and men's health is, I feel like it's like a secondary or like, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about physical health. Like, you know, men's health, like, we definitely need to have stronger, better conversations, especially in our communities. And those are things that women can champion, right? Like same thing like men, like, you know, just as we continue to champion each other's causes, like that's how we sort of bridge that divide. So that's um, what I'm hoping for when you eventually get into Sex and the Cigar on Instagram, that I'm able to continue to deliver that message through my stories. And then too, you know, I'm single, I'm fly, I'm fine. I'm a new mom and stuff. I don't lost a little bit of weight. 
<laughs> I just needed to kind of remind myself of a little bit. <laughs> so, okay. And I take pride in that. It's a real body. It's I'm a real woman. I got stretch marks. <laughs> you know, body positivity is a, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Like, yeah, I find myself sexy just like this right now. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not skinny. I'm not just, I'm not what everybody thinks I need to look like. Yeah, that's that's another jewel in itself. So, I mean, just just to kind of round things out, I mean, what kind of words of wisdom do you have for someone that's potentially following in your footsteps, coming up behind you? What would you tell them? Go for it. Don't let these naysayers tell you that it's an oversaturated market for you to open up yet another cigar lounge or that, you know, this is why I don't support black businesses or we need to do better or this is why I don't vote. Or this is why, you know, just don't take no for an answer. Don't get stopped. Don't let anybody else determine or put opinions in your head that take over what you feel in your heart. That is a huge personal message of mine that I think I'll always be sort of grappling with for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Don't let people define you as a mother. Don't let people say you can't follow a career. Don't let people say, you know, well, that's your ex and you ended it a certain way and it was ugly. And, you know, you can't bridge your relationships forward because you're going to look silly and you're going to look stupid. Don't let the world's norms be your norm. Like individuality is powerful and community is powerful. And, you know, just in sort of being a strong individual and allowing people and give yourself a lot of grace, give yourself a lot of grace. There's success and there's failure and that's simultaneous. There's success before failure, there's success after failure, there's failure. Like it, it goes back and forth. It is not this road. It is not the straight roadmap. I have to prepare myself for the mistakes I'm about to make every day. That's that me time. Just, I know I shoot from the hip. I know I don't have this experience. When it came to the wine, like, you know, people are like, I don't know if you have enough wine experience to really push it. I'm like, I got people experience. I'll be okay. I'll be all right. Like, I know restaurateurs. I know how to ask. I know how to, I know, I know how to get support. Like, I'll be okay. Thank you, though. Thank you. I appreciate it. Don't let anything really be a hurdle. Like, you know, pursue your vision, pursue your passion, but just pursue it unabashedly, unabandonedly, like give yourself grace to make mistakes, allow yourself to learn from it. Like I said, like I'm extremely humbled. I make a lot of mistakes. I poured the wine wrong. I poured like, you know, just, we ran out of glasses. We had to serve it. There's just a lot going on. Like, and you know, you just have to continue to adjust. And that's something the hospitality sort of industry sort of teaches you. Like, you know, I know this is the run of show over here, Chanel. Like, this is what we planned on doing during this podcast. But if I answer something incorrectly, like, you know that you and I know what, what happens between us. But nobody else really knows. We have to keep pushing the show. It's a production. We just have to keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show, because I knew you was going to be a firecracker, right? And that's why I wanted to get you on here. As far as like the whole woman empowerment, I knew you was going to go down that route as well, too. And again, to your point, that's what people need to see. I, I don't want this podcast just to be 100% male or 100% African-American. I want it to be a diverse plethora of people so that somebody potentially in India may potentially listen to this yeah. podcast, see you and be like, holy shit, I can be her. Why not? And then take the steps, take your words of wisdom and take action. That's really what this yeah. podcast is really about. It's about giving diversity through people's successes. And everybody on the show has had different successes. Absolutely. I'm not trying to overlap anybody. I'm trying to 
figure out, well, your success is completely different than the last person and completely different from the person before you. And that's the beauty of the world that we live in. Absolutely. Yeah. So another question I have for you, right? It's one of the questions that I just love to ask because I always get these unique answers, right? So if you could spend 24 hours a day with anybody dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why? <sighs> just one answer, huh? That's what makes it difficult, right? Yeah. I got to think about it just a little bit. Dead or alive, right? Yep. I'd love to spend some time with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I can see that. He's definitely into hospitality. <laughs> so, I, I love to spend some time with Snoop Dogg. Like, he's a G. Yeah. I sometimes, you know, liken myself. I'm a G. <laughs> yep. I love it. I love his whole swag. I love his whole attitude. Like, that's who I'd want to spend a day with. A, 20, a, whole, 24, a whole 24 hours, it would be lit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So this is the time of the podcast. I always just kind of give the microphone to the person I'm interviewing. So, I mean, any questions you have for me? Absolutely. Boss Uncaged, right? I love what you did with Paul. I love how you're very, like, you're so insightful. Like you definitely see the vision and know, understand the message for so many different people. You get what I'm like, you're here on this podcast and there's a number of personalities, a number of visionaries that you encounter through this platform. I know how I see it, but can you give me a little bit of insight? Like, what do you see in people? What is it that you see? Like, how is it that you see? Like, what, what is that like? Bing. I know a light that like, that's a light. That's it. That's it. Like, how do you, am I, yeah, am I being yeah, clear? Yeah. Like, what is yeah, it that I you understand see the in question. people? Like, what is it that says, you know, that you gravitate to when you say, I want you on this show? So for me, it's the beauty of social media makes it kind of an easy opportunity for me to kind of view people from the outside looking in, right? And obviously on a personal level too, I mean, obviously we had off-bar conversations. We, I, you know, I met you guys at the lounge before. Paul was on the show as well. And I met Paul through college. So I'm really big on the six degrees of separation, right? So through one business person, obviously I'll meet many others. And then as I connect to that person, I get to kind of see a little bit inside of the way they process, the way they think, what their journeys are looking. So for you, you know, obviously we had that conversation. We were talking about branding. We were talking about marketing. Then obviously I knew you had the lounge. I knew Michael. And I was just like watching you kind of build and develop the other platform on Instagram. And I was just like, she is the epitome of what this brand really is. It's kind of like you're in multiple different facets, but they're all in the one wheelhouse of hospitality. So just giving you an opportunity to speak on how you're doing it and understanding the way you're processing and thinking, that's when I was like, ding, she has to be on the show because there's somebody else out there that's thinking, oh, I want to come up with my own vodka or I want to open up a bar or I want to do some kind of marketing for restaurants. Well, you're the epitome of all those things in one person. So the people that are potentially listening, the entrepreneurs and the small business owners that are listening and they hear you speak, and obviously you're political as well. That's part of that environment, right? right? You have to be a politician to be able to move, like you're saying. If you want to get a liquor license, it's not just file the report. It's not just file the paperwork and pay the fees. You kind of have to shake hands and kiss babies to a certain extent to get that expedited. And people don't realize that. Right. So just by you saying that, somebody's probably listening like, I've been doing everything for the past four months and my license is still not active. I wonder why. Right. You answer that question for him indirectly. That's what I see. I mean, that's why I called it boss and cage. I mean, it's not just about bosses. It's about becoming a boss. It's about on that journey of coming out the cage from being a full-time employee to being a full-time entrepreneur and jumping out of that and never looking backwards. Yeah. Dope. 
Um, another question, like politically, like, you know, just like I said, I have to kind of do it. And it's really important for me to get involved. Like, how involved are you? Like, do you know your candidates? Do you understand, like, you know, the age difference between the two? You know, that people don't understand that these people are three years apart. Three years. I'm not asking you, you know, who you're, but, you know, are you registered to vote? Just are you participating so, on a local level as well? So it's funny that you asked that question, because believe it or not, I used to be behind the scenes running political campaigns. So for me, I've just kind of learned how to resonate what I would like to call in between the gray lines, right? I understand both parties. And, you know, obviously, like Tally, she was like my first interview on this podcast. And her and I had an opportunity to work with an actual, I'll say it, a Republican party. We was doing marketing and strategy for it. So it, it, growing up Democratic, it gave me opportunity to really understand both parties firsthand, yeah. like looking at their marketing materials, looking at the content, looking at the designs, looking at everything and understanding like, you know, this is just literally black and white. It's like a chessboard continuously ongoing. And it's a matter of essentially picking the right side at the right time. Wow. So to answer your question, I definitely am involved, but I really don't broadcast it because I, I know how it's difficult to get into that state of mind and express yourself without going down the negative road of, well, I believe this and you believe that. And I'm in the middle, like, well, I think both you guys have leeway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm voting for either one of you or for one or the other, but I'm saying, I understand your views. I understand your views. You're kind of right. You're kind of right. And unfortunately in the world that we live in, it's always going to be divided. And the example I always use, and I always sound crazy when I say it, it's kind of like, okay, think about baseball, basketball. There's always opposing sides. Otherwise, they would never be a sport. And without thinking and understanding that without having opposing sides, then obviously we would never have any politics. We wouldn't have any religions. So understanding that that's what we are, it's always going to be on and off. And until something drastic happens, like aliens come into the planet, Right something that's completely out of the mind of anybody to make like a global peace uniformity of, oh my God, all of us have the same new common enemy. There's always going to be opposing sides, no matter what. Or like a pandemic hits, right? That affects people of any color, any... Yeah, but even with the pandemic, it's still black and white. It's still this party versus that party. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Yeah, so, so if aliens appear, it kind of changes the dynamic of the situation to where it's not about black or white. It's not about... Democrat or Republican. It's not about Catholic versus Hindi. It's about, holy shit, <laughs> everything on this planet potentially could ex cease to exist in a matter of that quickly. So now become a uniform front to go against the new common enemy. And again, it still becomes bipolar, right? It's still negative versus positive. Now we're all on one side, uniformed against the new enemy. And then down the road, that new enemy may be allies, and then it'll be the, the ally front. You get into Star Wars or Star Trek. Now it's the allied front against somebody else. And it's a step and repeat, step and repeat, step and repeat. It's always going to be like it. We've been like that since the dawn of time. Mm -hmm. It's always been, you know, beginning of time, it was man and woman, right? And that's opposing sides by default. And then they join together and they merge together, right? There's always been dark and light. That's our entire existence has been based on that premise. So it's going to be kind of really difficult to ever have a complete uniform Republican or Democrat party in one unison, right? You may have the alternate parties that may come in, but unfortunately, much like religion in a sense, you know, Catholics and, and Baptists and all these different religions, it's kind of like a group of people that are following something in search for something. So when you have something new that comes into that state of mind, like Kanye West steps into the space, he's like, I got a new religion. It's kind of like, whoa, 
what is this new thing? Some people are going to be attracted to it because it's different, but in reality, the masses are not because they've been grown and been breded into something that their grandfathers and their great grandmothers have always instilled in them from generations. So it becomes highly difficult to kind of have a uniform form. So hopefully I answered your question. I love it. You did. You did. I'm just like, and to just sort of piggyback off that, like, you know, just, I know you're saying like, you know, one would think that a pandemic would unify us just a little bit. Do you foresee like an immediate change, like within our generation? I mean, I think we have seen some changes. We have seen some evolutions and, you know, I always look at it from, there's multiple things, right? There's education. It's part of that, right? Our education system was primarily based upon the industrial revolution as far as being a daisy chain, step and repeat, step and repeat. And, and now we have the interjection of STEM programs. It's kind of like more out the box thinking when the reality is not really out the box. It's the way things have should have been since like the 90s, right? right? All this technology that's around this are all based upon people that have been bucking the system going against the grain. To your point, people that said, hey, there's too much cell phones in the market, and then here comes iPhone. (laughs) When there was Ericsson, there was Samsung, there was all these other major manufacturers at the time, and Apple came from nowhere, and now they're like, they're 50% shareholders of that market sector. So to your point, it's one of those things you have to understand that in the longevity of everything that we're in existence right now, there's room for change. Now, is it going to happen in our lifetimes? Potentially, yes. It may not be the vision that we perceive it to be. Prime example, in our lifetime, right? And I remember like 98 is the year I graduated from high school. 98, we were still potentially using pagers and moving into cell phones. So five years after that, everything completely changed. Completely changed. I remember in 98, I was on my phone and it had a a cap of 100 contacts. Five years after that, there was unlimited contacts. So in the context of like race and everything else, obviously we've made leaps and bounds, right? But there's always going to be some leftover something. And it really comes down to, again, it's always going to be black and white, not to say race, but it's always going to be negative and positive. And that's the way to even down to the atomic level, negative and positive is what makes the world go around. So I love it. Great insight. Cool. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate your time. I think this was like a great conversation it went all over the place and it was like but it was high intense energy right it was definitely we delivered content we delivered business strategy we talked about politics but that's one of the reasons why i definitely reached out to you because i wanted to have some of that energy on the show and i definitely appreciate you bringing it to the table thank you for the opportunity i loved it i enjoyed myself like boston cage resonates with me and then of course like you know just you, you and i have a relationship i really appreciate like you know how you see the vision how you really have a strategy behind employing it So just continue to looking forward to working with each other. And again, thanks again for the opportunity. Definitely. It was a pleasure. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to become an Uncaged Trailblazer. If this podcast helped you, please email me about it. Submit additional questions you would love to hear me ask our guests and or drop me your thoughts at asksagrant.com. Post comments, share, hit subscribe, and remember to become a boss in cage. You have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful book, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. 
Download now at www.sagrant.com slash boss uncaged.